Digital Innovation, the web conference, and just before we kick off and meet our guests this morning, I'll begin with a karakia. Unahia te pō, te pō whirimara, tamakia te ao, te ao, te tangata. Tātai ki ronga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahorau. Humie, huie, taikie. Well, kia ora, this morning we're joined, lucky enough, to be uh, here with us, Susan from, and Andy from Kiwi Rail, both from Kiwi Rail, and they are digital innovation experts working there, implementing some great new technology that's keeping people safe, um, and during, I guess, the learning phases of uh, becoming a member of the Kiwi Rail staff and also with regards to working around the uh, rail network. So uh, Susan, do you want to just give us a brief intro and talk to us about some of the work you do? Yeah, kia ora, my name is Susan, Learning Design <coughs> and Systems Manager at KRL. Um, some of the work that we do is uh, building in new technologies into the classroom to help um, train our, our staff to be um, safer, uh, competent um, people on the network. So it's, it ranges in a different a number of different ways from locomotive engineers to rail operators um, and even people uh, working on the track as well um, in and around our um, wagons. And so that's what we're sort of focusing on. Kia ora, Susan and Andy. Yeah, uh, so I'm Andy Lyon. I'm the Program Director for Digital Engineering at QRL. Um, and we, uh, we use things like 3D modeling and um, other technologies like that to try and, um, I guess, build and simulate our construction projects um, in the digital world before we go out to site and build them in the real world. So it gives us a chance to understand them a little bit better, iron out any problems, um, think of ways to make it a bit safer. Kia ora, Andy. Well, thanks for both of you uh, for joining us this morning. So we'll kick off with some questions and uh, try to get um, a bit further into some further insight into the work you do and, and how this impacts um, in a wider sense. So, um, you know, rail, generally speaking, is a safe way to get around uh, for many of us and to move freight um, from one end of the country to the other. So we're just wondering, why is rail safety such a big thing? Any of you can answer that? I, I guess the... Um, I guess the the biggest thing for us is uh, trains don't stop so quickly. So that's, you know, that's the big difference. It's um, pretty hard to swerve out of the way and it um, takes an awfully long time for a, a full freight train to stop. Um, and that's actually really important for us to make sure that we've got that separation from people and, and um, yes, yeah, trains on the network. Anything to add to that, Susan? Uh, just, yeah, leading on to that, it's not just trains on our network too, but we have, you know, high rail trucks and, and a lot of other plant um, in and around. And I think anything that's really big um, and moves really fast um, is dangerous, which is why it's, it's you know, not just, in, not just with our trains, but it's everything that can travel on our tracks as well and on the network. <clears throat> yeah, they're certainly big, heavy machines. And like you say, Andy, they take a, a long time to slow down. And there's a lot going on. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's not just about people 
getting from A to B, but all, all the infrastructure around that and the people that support that. Uh, so Andy, tell us more about the digital shields. Um, and I know it's, it's quite a complicated piece of equipment, but just if you could just uh, give us a brief rundown on, on the development of that and how you use it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, I mentioned we use things like 3D models to try and build a picture of the, the work we're going to do before we before we get to site. And, and the project that we developed the digital shields on was, was one of those projects. So we had a, a 3D model of the of the uh, rail network, you know, the corridor, the tracks, the stations, the overhead power um, already built. Um, and so what we did was we took those models and we, we um, kind of put some shields around some of the things we knew were hazardous and we wanted to keep machines away from. So that was the overhead power and where the trains are running. Um, and we loaded those 3D models into a computer on board a digger. Um, and the digger's got a little bit of extra gear on it. So it has some GPS and some other smarts on it already. So the computer on the digger compares where the digger is and what shape it is. Uh, and it looks at the model and where the model should be in the um, real world. And it compares the two. And if it gets to a point where it thinks, this digger is going to clash with that 3D model, and it sends a signal um, to the to the machine to shut it down and stop it from going any further. Um, so that's that's kind of how how the system works. It's um yeah pretty novel idea, but it, again a good way to good way to keep um, people and plant and the rail traffic separated. Yeah, and of course, I guess the digital shield it's it's like an an invisible shield, isn't it? It's just it's been programmed. Like you say, to to kind of, to to be there, and the and the computers know that it is there. And I missed out a question because we were t we started off talking about rail safety, and just wondering, um, you know, is is rail safety different or unique in Aotearoa? Are there, is there anything in this country that makes safety more difficult or easier? We, we, we sort of face the same challenges as a lot of other countries, right, um, Andy? You know that we've got these big machines, they're hard to slow down. There's a lot of uh, infrastructure or other machinery that's on the track as well. And, and sometimes we have to, you know, cross places with um, cars and pedestrians and, and we face this. Yeah, so it's the same challenges in other countries. Um, I, we're always going to have our unique um, environment in New Zealand. Um, you know, from from some of the you know, landslides that we might have in the in the network that can come down, or um, earthquakes and stuff that can always you know bring in some other other challenges um, that some countries might not face. Um, but um, we we're still um, we're still growing our safety precautions. Um, with like the likes of level crossings and having you know automated barrier arms that come through. There's still some places in the country that um, we don't have that everywhere where you have to actually rely on the public to to stop and look and listen um, before they cross. Um, and most of the time we're getting it right, but it is still it's still a big thing for us in New Zealand as well. Yeah, I guess with the you know. Geologically speaking, you know, we're kind of often referred to as the shaky isle. So, like you say, there's there's plenty of um, natural hazards that perhaps getting in the way. I, I immediately think of Kaikoura and the damage done to the network around that area. Um, mm. And also, I guess we're relatively small, so there's going to probably be 
a greater number of um, intersections, like you say, where you've got rail and, and roads uh, meeting. And of course, um, lots of mountains. So <laughs> and trains aren't very good at going up steep, steep inclines. So um, there must certainly be a lot of challenges. Um, Susan, you use VR, virtual reality in mm. your work. Um, is, is it successful? Does it, does it, is it, do you think it's been successful? Um, and, and can people, are there any, are you able to sort of be putting any hard figures on that? I think it's been hugely successful, certainly even in the engagement levels um, of our staff. So they're, they're now looking at safety um, and the, the work that they do, even in the classroom, um, and they're much more switched on and aware of these, you know, the, the big machines that they're working in and around our, in our yards and on the network before we put them in an environment or before we put them out into those yards working with those machines. Um, so certainly, certainly it gets a, a lot of attention um, and, it, and it raises that, that awareness up quite a bit. Um, so I'd say it's hugely successful. We've been running it now in our, with our rail operators and locomotive engineers for over a year. Um, and we've had some really good results on, on um, I guess, the, the knowledge and safety levels out in the yard after they've been through the classroom with virtual reality. I guess it must be just switching on the brain, um, getting that kind of pre-learning loaded so that it's there is some familiarity and it's not all like a, yeah, it's not all just brand new and quite overwhelming mm. for people. I think it gives mm. people an opportunity to practice even before they go out um, because a lot of our classrooms are split. So we spend half our time in the classroom and the other half of our time out in the yard or on a locomotive. And so by bringing virtual reality into the classroom, we're actually able to uh, increase the number of uh, practical time, I guess, they get in actually um, working in and around trains and uh, locos. Um, so because they're actually doing it, even in the classroom, they're in this virtual world um, and, and working on a a model of the real thing and then they go out and still do that um, out in the yard afterwards. Yeah, cool. Now, Andy, um, you've got the Digital Shield is, is a big project you've been involved in. Um, what, what other things are you developing techie-wise? <laughs> yeah, we got a, we got a few things um, we're looking at. So we use, um, we've spoken about using gaming gaming engines to simulate the work sites and get people familiar with the tasks they're going to do and sort of set their work site out and, and look how they can make it safer. So you can drop into that first person character and have a look at what you've planned and get a feeling um, from that point of view you know, of the, the scale and the space and you can add some extra you know, controls to make things safer. Um, another thing we're using as well, we've, um, we've been using artificial intelligence with um, some of the cameras on the on the network. So we have um, some places on the network where maybe people um, are crossing rail bridges they shouldn't be, but you know they're not safe to cross. Um, and we've got some initiatives where they have a camera set up, and um, some artificial intelligence will look at the camera and detect if people are in a place that's unsafe for them, and that can trigger an alarm and send a notice to our um, train drivers further up the line, hey, watch out in the bridge that's coming, there's somebody there that shouldn't be on the bridge. And that gives them that advance warning. It takes a long time for a train to stop, 
so for them to get told about that a couple of kilometers away that's plenty of time for them to slow down get to a speed where you know they can more easily judge what's happening and and make an emergency stop if they need to so it's a couple of couple of things we've um we've been working on as a business yeah brilliant it's um yeah that's one you know i've done a bit of thinking on the topic but that's that's uh that sounds like a really good innovation yeah preventing that um that sort of train to person collision from from a distance that's fantastic and what about you susan apart from the vr work um Anything else on the horizon for you? Yeah, we're looking at a number of things. Um, one of the things that's really hard for new people coming into rail is trying to imagine what their world looks like. Um, and so we're looking at 360 videos and augmented reality as well. Um, and augmented reality, um, not only to, to give like, say if you had a map where you could put a camera over it so you could see what the real world looks like on top of that map, but also been able to provide that sort of um, tech support where you could have an engineer sitting in an office um, and then someone with um, augmented reality glasses on where they could actually talk to that person and actually guide them through a task. So we're exploring yeah. those um, as opportunities in the future as well. Um, the technology changes so fast that you're sort of keep trying mm. to keep up with it. There's always, always something new to look at um, and, and even the technology that we have in the way virtual reality, and I'm sure you're finding that too, um, Andy, it's changing all the time and it just gets better and better and what you don't think is possible becomes a reality very quickly. Yeah, it's it's amazing stuff. Um, now, you know, but with all this technology, <laughs> which is making things safer for people, you know, there still has to be... Um, a certain amount of responsibility that rests on the individual, right? Mm. Yeah, I think uh, the important message there is that the one person that should be looking out for your safety is you. So um, mm. we can put lots of these cool things in place to help people be informed and understand, but it still relies on you as an individual to stop. You know, if you're crossing the tracks, look left, look right, take the time to keep yourself safe. Mm. So let's say the last 10 years, what will be, you think, the, the biggest uh, improvement to, to safety and, and then looking beyond the next 10 years, what do you think is going to be the next, next major shift? I think, um, I think probably one, one of the things we've, we've been doing a lot of, as I mentioned before, is upgrades to the level crossings. We've got you know, quite a continued program of work to try and make the level crossings safer. Um, mm. And you know, uh, putting in things like the pedestrian gates um, that'll um, you know help people understand it's time to stop, um, and, and those half-arm barriers and things. So people still need to recognise that when the gates are closed and the bells are going, it's not worth trying to get through or get across. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you know, I think for us, there'll be more. Um, I guess um, more and more of those upgrades happening over the coming years. Um, and, and probably the other thing is um, ways to keep our own people safe when in the corridor because you know, a lot of our people have to go into the corridor. That's their job. They have to be there. So things we can do to give them that advance warning of, hey, there's something coming. Um, I think there'll probably be a number of, uh, well, there's a number of initiatives we're working on at the minute. Um, in that space, just to try and see what we can see, what technology we can use to to keep people in the field safe. Mm. 
Yeah, because you know you talk about those um, the level crossings and then the pedestrian crossing areas, um, and obviously yes, it, there's responsibility that rests on the individual. But you, you know you talk about advancements in technology. You know that's 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 not just in rail safety, but in many aspects of our life, which in turn distract us <laughs> from the things around us. So, you know, we've got we've got just been able to listen to things and, and all that sort of thing, which take our attention away. And um, so it's I guess it's part of it's remembering that, but also realizing that that is a reality as well of our modern lives. And so being able to upgrade, like you say, some of those areas which which do have automatic gates and that sort of thing um i guess it's part of that responsibility which you guys have in order to keep people safe uh, you know as well as as individuals um and and um there's been you know sustainability is is a massive topic um climate change and all that sort of thing and and carbon emissions are one of the big contributors to that do you think rail has a role to play in in reducing those emissions and, and, and the idea of sustainability going forward? Oh, absolutely. I think it's always had a part to play. You know, at one train, um, I think the stats say that the carbon emissions we have from one train is um, the same as 250 trucks on the on the road, I think. Um, there's, a, there's a video that explains the value of rail um, and it has a huge impact on sustainability. So the more work we can put into our uh, the quality of our track, the, our safety, the more trains we can get on and the more we can do to help New Zealand uh, work towards uh, meeting its carbon, you know, carbon emission goals of the future as well. Yeah. And um, I've been on a few trains now and there's some fantastic journeys uh, available for for everyday commuters and um and people that want to go a little bit further across both islands so you'd have one would have to assume you're both fans of rail and um mm -hmm. and, and and if you've got a favorite journey that you've perhaps been on would you like to share that with us um, doesn't have, yeah doesn't you know have, doesn't have to be in new zealand but <laughs> no that's right I think if you're looking for a um, for a journey in New Zealand, though, um, you can see past the Transalpine. It's a pretty spectacular um, part of the country. Um, but I think one of my fond memories in terms of rail travel is um, getting a European rail pass. So I come from Scotland and um, getting a, a ticket for a month that will take you on any train in, in Europe. It's a pretty um, that's a pretty cool thing to be able to go and do. That's a pretty diverse and crazy place. Um, so. Yeah, I spent a, spent a summer with friends playing lucky train, going to the next train and train station and getting on the next train to anywhere. And I think that's um, that's got to be one of my favourite rail journeys. Yeah. Cool. Mm, that was certainly one of my ways of favourite ways of getting around Europe as well. It's just jumping on a train anywhere. But um, I agree, the Transalpine is by far. Um, but I, I may be a little bit um, biased because I am a South Islander and I love that part of the country. <laughs> Um, so it is one of my favourite places in the world, no matter, no matter how much you see. Um, and it has, you're right, even in summer or even in winter, it has the, some of the most spectacular scenery that you'll um, that you'll expect. But um, I even appreciate the coastal though, with the with the views you have of the coast and the the seals and colonies as you go through as well. Um, it's a bit of a shorter journey, um, and for those who can't sit down for very long, 
it's a, it's a great shorter taste uh, to our passenger, longer passenger services. So there's the three of those, the main big journey uh, trips in Aotearoa. You've got the Trans-Alpine, like you say. So that goes from Aotearoa Christ to Marfield or Greymouth. And then you've got that, that coastal one. So that's, is that from Picton to Christchurch? Yes, it is, yeah. That's oh, that's the coastal Pacific. Yes. And then and then it's the northerner, is it? The the northern explorer, and that goes from, from Wellington through to Auckland. Um, and then we have a couple of others that people don't um, often think about, which is the Capital Connection from Palmerston North to Wellington, um, and then from Masterton to uh, to Wellington as well. And worldwide, I mean, you know, people can look this up, but there's there's famous train journeys all around the world. Mm. And, and I do believe that the Transalpine, you know, certainly rates among them. Well, look, um, nice way to leave that. Thank you once again for your time this morning, Andy and Susan. Uh, keep up the great work and um, helping people keep safe around the round network. And really enjoyed talking with you guys this morning and getting a bit more of an insight into the work you do and um, thinking about where things might go in the future. Uh, thank you. Thank you. That brings our web conference to an end.